0: refereeing the Men's Premier League Reserves Grand Final for the last two years in a row. Uh, That's certainly been a highlight of my refereeing career and and probably my sporting career. And I hope to attain the, uh, the top game in years to come if I continue to go at it. Welcome
1: to Swim Dot Rocks, the podcast that shares ideas, information, and inspiration between swimming people who stay dry. I'm your host Ben Ramsden, and this week we're having a very interesting conversation with Toby Williams. Now, I know I always say you're going to like this, but I think you're going to like this one. Uh, Toby's a former swimmer; um, he's also a crown green bowler and an official in that he's a soccer referee and he also works in politics um including for some quite high, high profile politicians so uh, we had quite a uh, quite a fascinating uh, fascinating uh, conversation just to give you a bit more about his background he's um as I say, he's a former swimmer. He's officiated at various committee positions, including president of the Warringah Aquatic Swim Club. He's meet director of Carlisle Swim Club. He's currently president of Manly Warringah Referees Association, that Soccer Referees Association. And he's vice chairman of Harvard Bowling and Recreation Limited. He's worked for Bronwyn Bishop, the former speaker and at the time uh, the member for McKellar and currently works for Brad Hazard, who's the state member for Wakehurst and senior member of the New South Wales government. So uh, as you can imagine, he's got some quite interesting uh, experiences and um, views across various sports to, to share with us. But I started off as I always do by finding out how it was that he first got into swimming.
0: Well, like most young Australians, I started off in Learn to Swim, as I think we all should. Of course, swimming is very important and swim safety. And that was at Kalani Heights Pool with Carlisle. And I was there, I suppose, for the first number of years until Kalani Heights was renovated and I moved to Raringa Aquatic. And I swam there, I suppose, for, well, I suppose, at least 10 years Um, A pretty good swimmer, uh, Grubb, and most people know a great Graham Carroll. Always thought I had potential, but I was slack at training. Uh, But I did enjoy competing, and I competed at um, metros and state level. Never quite got to nationals. I was close, but uh, never quite there. I stopped swimming uh, around the time I did the HSC, again, as many swimmers do, uh, finding it hard to juggle between the commitments of study and, and training. And I suppose it was about that point that I got serious about officiating. I first started, Mauna Hill introduced me to uh, officiating. And I think she she possibly was the ALEC convener, which is the old ATSC convener. And uh, she got me to do general principles, uh, marshalling and check starting. Marshalling and check starting were the first courses that I did. And, from, from that time onwards to now, I've managed to complete all my accreditations with the exception of referee, which is um, on the cards for the next couple of months, and I'm currently putting together the notes and studying for that exam. But I've always enjoyed officiating. Uh, I, I try to do as many meets as I can, but as you um, ran through before, I do have quite a few commitments, so it makes it hard at times to juggle all those commitments. But I very much enjoy the officiating towards the end of last year. I started uh, coming back to Homebush for the state meets, which was terrific to catch up with people that I hadn't seen for some time, and uh, really great to be back on pool deck. Um, It's pretty rare.
1: Sorry, Toby, it's pretty rare for a swimmer to move into officiating. I I know some do it, and but you're one of the exceptions. What is it that you enjoy about it? What, What What is it that sort of attracted you to that?
0: Well, I suppose I'd become a soccer referee in 2008, before I became a swimming official, and quite enjoyed that. The difference with that is I hadn't played soccer properly, and so I came into soccer refereeing pretty well blind, whereas with swimming, I did have an understanding of what, how meets were run and um, the rules involved in swimming, uh, which led me into it. And I quite enjoy being behind the scenes and, and having uh, figured out over the years, in more greater detail of what happens behind the scenes. But uh, at the end of the day, I enjoy it. And um, as long as I enjoy something, I'll keep doing it.
1: Now, it's, it's, I'm very curious about how you got, got to be a soccer referee if you were pretty blind about soccer. There must be a bit of a story for us there.
0: I think, I, I, I can't quite remember whether my mum suggested it to me or I had a mate that suggested it to me because we was at the same time. Uh, I suppose a way to make a bit of money, um, fitness on the weekends. What I can recall quite vividly is explaining to my premiership-winning rugby league father, who, who played rugby league as an international and subsequently for Manly Sea Eagles, was that when I told him I was quitting league to become a soccer referee, I thought he was going to have a, a heart attack. <laughs> but when he saw the money that was uh, able to be made as a soccer referee, he came around fairly quickly. Um, I've been fortunate in my soccer refereeing career. Whilst I went into it um, with a very limited understanding of the laws of the game, by the end of that year, I was the runner-up rookie. Uh, Didn't quite take out the top award, but I was the runner-up. And um, 11 seasons later, I've been an under-18 referee of the year once and an under-25 referee of the year twice. Um, I've rep soccer, and now I referee just locally doing men's and women's Premier League and, and still juniors because I enjoy doing the junior games. And they uh, benefit from having an experienced official uh, as opposed to some of the younger, uh, new, that they would be accustomed to normally. Hmm.
1: So tell us about how you became president of the Mani Football Referees Association.
0: That was only a recent development. And um, many of the people that know me know that I, at times, struggle to say no when people ask me to to take on various jobs. But uh, my mantra, I suppose, since leaving school has always been to give back to the uh, organisations and groups that I've benefited from, hence becoming a swimming official, soccer referee involved in the bowling club. Uh, When I heard last year that the president of the referees' association would be retiring and that there was no clear idea of who might take over, I quite readily offered myself and um, a number of the committee and indeed members, a majority of the members, because it it did come down to a vote, which doesn't often happen in these associates have a vote. Uh, Normally, as I'm sure Ben, you know, and you've seen over the years, you struggle to get people to fill these committee positions because volunteer time is so precious. But um, I was elected last uh, November uh, for a two year term and I haven't had to do too much yet, but, In more recent times this year, it's it's starting to kick off and I'm settling into the position and I'm sure I'll learn a few new things over the next two years. People ask me if I'm still going to referee Premier League and I say that is, of course, dependent on whether or not my vice president, seniors, chooses to appoint me. (laughs) So I'll try and remain in his good books for as long as I can.
1: (laughs) Now, bowling. How did you get into bowling?
0: The bowling story to me really is quite special. My grandfather, who I was really very, very, very close to, was a bowler for many years. Uh, I I think he finished up in around 2000 when my grandmother passed away. So we never bowled together, but we had the occasion to be at the club, Harbour Bowling Club down in Korko. And he said to me, why don't you join? Why don't you give bowls a try? And by this point, he was in his late 80s, any rate, suffered a stroke. And whilst he was still fit, uh, he couldn't bowl. But the history there is that he was, along with his father, my great-grandfather, a foundation member of the club, foundation members of the club, when the club was formed in, I believe, the late 40s. It could have been 48. Uh, Indeed, my great-grandfather was the foundation vice-president. So to me today, to be – well, I was vice-president, and it's now changed to vice-chairman, some 70 years after my great-grandfather was the foundation vice-president – Is really a special thing. But but before that, uh, I started as a bowler and and enjoyed it. And when I wasn't working and I was studying, I was able to play uh, two, three times a week. When I turned 18, having struck a friendship with the secretary manager, Wendy of the club, I said to her, so when are you going to give me a job, Wendy? Because I'd never had a part-time job before that, Uh, I suppose, aside from refereeing soccer, but that's not a job per se. And Wendy said, well, I'll give you a job. And so I happily worked behind the bar for... I think it was just under two years, and and circumstances led to me resigning. And I thought to myself, I might run for the board. Uh, I was doing a business administration degree at the time, which turned into a commerce degree. I changed and I I now have a a commerce um, degree, and I thought it might go hand in hand. That along with the fact that we had such a strong family connection, and at the time my grandfather was the last surviving foundation member, um, I thought it might be a good thing. And I was subsequently, oh, I wouldn't say elected, I'd say endorsed because there were only enough people for the amount of positions. And I'm now into my third two-year term and very much enjoying it, really very much enjoying it.
1: That's a lovely story, especially with mm. such a historic family connection there.
0: Mm. I'm just sad my grandfather wasn't around to see me get elected to the board, but I'm sure hes he's looking down quite pleased.
1: <laughs> very nice. Mm. Now what I was really curious to talk to you about is you've got the benefit of having been a swimmer. Um, you're currently obviously a swimming official. You've worked as, as in volunteer roles with clubs, as presidents, as meet directors. You're deep into soccer and the sort of committee and governance structure there. You're deep into bowling as we've just been hearing. Um, how do the, how do those different sports compare with each other from a sort of officiating and organising perspective? And particularly, are there any lessons you think swimming could learn from those other sports?
0: In some aspects, swimming has a lot to learn in terms of how it manages its officials. But in other aspects, I suppose the other sports I'm involved in have a lot to learn from swimming. One thing that is constant, not so much in soccer where the officials are paid but in bowls where where last year I was I said will you become a bowls umpire and of course I said yes is that the struggle to get volunteers to donate their time is very much a real problem and we see that in swimming I don't know whether we need to provide more tangible incentives for people to become officials I'm not sure if that'll have a, a negative effect but perhaps it's something that needs to be looked at to widen the pool, if you will. However, over the years, it certainly seems like there are a lot more people coming through uh, as new officials. Running from the meets things and running events, uh, some meets, I think we do that very well, really very well indeed. Swimming New South Wales have got it down to an absolute fine art uh, and the meets run fantastically met northeast are doing very well uh, dare i say carlisle are doing very well although i was the meet director for the last year that might be a conflict of interest but the organization is huge that goes into these swimming meets but uh, we appear to do it very well you don't always see that in the makeup of soccer competitions and certainly bowling tournaments the um, stringent organization that you see in swimming is not quite there but um What else could I say on that? I think it's the personnel getting, attracting new personnel is a struggle. Um, And that's something that affects all sports in terms of their officials' capacity. And it's something sports need to look at in the future, particularly where they're not paid, because people aren't as willing to volunteer their time as they used to be in the past, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a challenging question to answer, I know, because we're hardly comparing apples with apples. When uh, mm-hmm. you know, a swimming, um, swimming New South Wales meet needs forty needs odd officials to to run correctly, whereas I'm mm-hmm. guessing a uh, a bowling tournament or a soccer tournament probably needs far fewer. But it's so, it's, I think it's always interesting to to see how how things differ. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of interest, I mean. Do you think soccer refereeing is so popular simply because it's a a paid position?
0: Not necessarily. Um, You're outside, you're running around, you're in the sun, you know, you have direct sole authority over 22 players, coaches and managers. Um, But then refereeing soccer can also be incredibly stressful and you cop a hell of a lot of abuse, less so than you might receive in other sports. So, you know, like anything, it has its positives and negatives. But the payment certainly assists younger people who might not necessarily want to flip burgers at Macca's but are happy to run around for an hour and uh, get $30 for doing so.
1: So are you allowed to share what the sort of remuneration rates are for a soccer referee?
0: Well, it, it, it's staggered, of course from low to high, I think as a Premier League referee, I get a bit over or around $60 for a game of two forty-five 45 45-minute halves, which to me, I don't do it for the money, it, it, it's a bonus, but um, you can see the appeal.
1: Yeah, and you have to travel presumably to matches and... Um...
0: Only locally, only okay. locally. When I was doing reps and you had to travel to Sutherland and Blacktown, Bankstown and up the coast. I mean, that was a bit more taxing, but I don't do that anymore.
1: Yeah, so it's certainly um, equivalent to quite a few hours flipping burgers. I would say so. (laughs) Very good. What I'd like to do now, if I may, is to talk about some of your political experiences. Um, First of all, can you explain to people that don't understand how somebody like you embarks on a career working for politicians?
0: this is a line of my life where I've been really incredibly fortunate. I, not necessarily necessarily something I actively sought out. Uh, I did join the liberal party as someone interested in politics and, and swinging more so to the right of center politics. Um, like many in my family, you know, often how your family vote trickles down into how you think. But, um, I did join the Liberal Party around 2010 and sort of sat back. But, of course, knowing me, it didn't take long to be involved in the executive of my branch. <laughs> and, of course, flowing from that, I, I think it must have been prior to the, 2000 and, uh, the 2013 election, and I was assisting... Uh, in Bronwyn's office and I had met Bronwyn first of all when she used to come to my high school to present awards and that was where I had my first contact with her and then subsequent contact um, as a a volunteer not all the time but occasionally in her office in the lead up to the the 2013 election well after the Liberals were elected and that was a big year for the Liberal Party um, Bronwyn's office said to me how would you like to work here one day a week and um I said, that would be absolutely fantastic. Well, one day turned into two. I I'd do holiday work when other people were away or if they were on sick leave or any kind of recreation leave. And I really, really enjoyed it. At the time, Brahman was the Speaker, which is a really, after the Prime Minister, one of the top positions in the Parliament and uh, had the occasion to go to Canberra. Uh, Not all the time, but a couple of times. I'm trying to remember. I think it might have been David Cameron. I had the opportunity to hear in the chamber when Brahman was Speaker, and I think the Indian Prime Minister, and she had a huge office. The the Speaker's suite in Parliament House is really something to behold. So those three years were a special three years to me. Uh, Brahman and I always got on very well. Uh, We still get on well and we catch up regularly. I was only speaking to her actually the other day. And um, a lot of people ask me what she'd like, because they have one perception of the public Brahman, but not necessarily the Bromman, uh, my boss and person we joke around with in the office. And she really is fantastic and someone has done so much for the country and someone who should deserve respect. We often talk about a little, a little helicopter, but um, you've got to look past that to look at all the other positive things she's done. Certainly um, a much-loved local member in McKellar for many years. So I worked for Bromman from 2013 till 2016, um she wasn't pre-selected and um, therefore wasn't running as the member. So that finished up and I was offered a job working two days a week for Natasha McLaren-Jones, who was an upper house state politician. And her husband was also Bromman's chief of staff. So that's how they knew me there. And um, I was in her office for a couple of months and then Brad Hazard's office said to me, because I was known to all these people as, as a member of the party, said, how would you like to do two days in our electorate office in D.Y.? So I was doing the two days in Parliament House in uh, Macquarie Street and two days with Brad in D.Y. Subsequently, Brad's office. I said, why don't you do four days? And then four days has become five, and I've been full-time for the last 12 months and really quite enjoying it. So in terms of my um, occupations, I've been really very fortunate. And then I I haven't had to apply for a job uh, as such yet, but... um, fallen into them perhaps i suppose they they might have seen a little bit of potential <laughs> so i'm very lucky
1: and what 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 sort of thing would you be doing for the people you work for I'm, I'm just completely unaware of what goes on in a politician's office i imagine there's a lot of correspondence and working out positions on issues but <laughs> that's just my guess tell us what what do you do
0: there is a lot to be done uh when you're working from members that i've worked for not not Natasha because she's at the upper house and, and that's uh, different in a way, but working for Brumman and Brad, Brumman being the speaker and Brad, of course, being a very senior minister in the state government, they don't often have the time to be in their electorates. Uh, very rarely are they in their electorate offices because they're working in the office of their um, position. So Brad, more often than not, is in the city. So you have myself, uh, my senior colleague and another colleague, that run the DY office, his electorate office, uh, based, of course, in his electorate, and liaising with constituents, helping them with uh, whatever matters they might have, making representations on their behalf to other ministers to get responses, um, responding to them with Brad's position on the matter they might write into us. Um, it's, it, it's a lot of working for the constituents, really, and helping them. and and bridging the gap between them and and various departments. Uh, One of the nicer things that we handle, and it's not just state members, but federal members also, is organising congratulatory messages for people who turn 100, uh, people who celebrate their 60th anniversary. And that's one of the nicer aspects of the job, because people really look forward to receiving those cards. Of course, they get a message from the Queen, uh, the Governor-General, the Prime Minister, a whole host of things. Uh, People that want to become a JP do so through their state member. Um, And on the odd occasion, I've also had to represent Brad at local events. Um, I suppose the last time would have been was either Anzac Day or Remembrance Day. As I'm sure you can imagine, the members are invited to so many functions in a day, it can be impossible to get around and please everyone. So they'll send a representative and uh, um, that really is a privilege to to represent them at functions in the community. Um, So to me... Uh, being involved in all the things that I do and being such a community-minded person to work for a member and also, in essence, be an extension of that member in the community is something that um, I find attractive and, and I think why I, I enjoy doing it so much.
1: Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Toby. Um, just just putting the sort of swim, swimming goggles, swimming lens on for a moment around this Political dimension. In our last episode, you probably aren't aware we spoke to Matt Patterson, who's um, president of Manly Swim Club.
0: And doing a great job.
1: Oh, I'm sure he'd be delighted to hear you say that. And he was telling mm-hmm. us a bit about some of the challenges um, they've fallen into with the local council and how they've actually successfully worked through those and come out the other side in a, dare I say, a much better position. And I recall you speaking at the uh, Met East AGM a year or so ago about perhaps the opportunity of dealing more closely with some of the, um, the politi- political offices about grant applications and things like that. Mm. Um, have you got any thoughts about how swim clubs could perhaps um, use elected representatives to, uh, to, to to further the swimming cause?
0: Well, absolutely. Speak to your local members' offices and say, uh, what money is available? They are there to help provide that information, uh, Whether particularly when it's state government money, there is plenty of money available. I know one particular grant program allocates $50,000 per year per electorate and often not all the money is allocated. You know They want to give this money away. They are looking for good applications. So it is just a matter of reaching out uh, and they can help you and, and point you in the right direction and perhaps even give you some assistance in terms of how to write your application because there is so, so much money out there that needs to be used money that swimming clubs are in desperate need of. Uh, often at times it can be hard to arrange the Bunnings barbecue and get all the people involved there to, there to run that. Why not fill out an application and try and receive some free money? You've got to be in it to win it, is my attitude.
1: Wonderful. That's gold advice. Thank you very much for that, Toby. Now I'd like no, to move on pleasure. to our, uh, our quick fire round of questions, if you're, uh, if you're good for that.
0: I hope I'm quick enough.
1: (laughs) What's the most useful piece of advice or equipment that you've had during your uh, swimming or officiating career in other sports?
0: In swimming, stick to the job you've been appointed. (laughs) One I haven't always adhered to as a younger official, but now very much adhere to. Uh, Stick to your appointment. Don't go messing about. Uh, in a role that's not yours and, and focus on doing a good job to what you've been allocated is probably the number one bit of advice.
1: Question two. As you know, if you officiated a uh, Swimming New South Wales meet, the Lucky Door Prize is a, a bottle of wine or box of chocolates. Which do you go for?
0: Well, I have to say I don't drink, so it would normally be the chocolates. However, I did uh, take the wine last time and I gave it to Sherry Smith because <laughs> <laughs> she's helped me a lot along the way. And I know she's partial to a drop.
1: Question three, what, if anything, would you do differently if you had your swimming or officiating career all over again?
0: Um, With my swimming career, uh, perhaps I might have stuck with it. Um, I don't have any regrets that I don't swim anymore. Uh, As a swimming official, I don't have any regrets either. It's taken me some time to get all my qualifications, but I think doing it over a longer time means... um, I've got a greater understanding of what's involved as an official. So no regrets. I think I'd do it the same all over again.
1: Lovely. Number four, what's your 50 metres freestyle PB time?
0: In a saltwater pool, I remember 24.9 once, but that was with dodgy timekeeping. I think in the pool, my best time was 25.20. Very good. Mm.
1: And what's been your most exciting sporting moment?
0: A most exciting sporting moment. Possibly uh, refereeing the Men's Premier League Reserves Grand Final for the last two years in a row. Uh, That's certainly been a highlight of my refereeing career and and probably my sporting career. And I hope to attain the, uh, the top game in years to come if I continue to go at it.
1: Toby Williams, thank you very much indeed for your time. Much appreciated.
0: Thank you, Ben, for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
1: Well, I must wish Toby all the best for his swimming referee exam. And that reminds me, if you're thinking of taking the exam or you're currently studying for it, then if you go to the swim.rocks website and look under technical officials, There's a post I wrote in December 2016, just after I took the exam, on how to pass the swimming referee exam. It doesn't contain any uh, information that shouldn't be shared online, but it does give give you some tips about how to be successful. Well, that's just about it for this week. If you're down in Melbourne for the Vic Open this weekend, then I hope everything goes well for you down there. In the meantime, until we meet next time, do please stay dry.